All right, so before we begin, I would just like to state for the record that today is December 1st, 2022, and my name is Ben Bauman, and I'm in Indianapolis, Indiana, speaking via phone with Sue Scholler, who's located in West Lafayette, Indiana, and we are doing an interview for the Indiana Legislative Oral History Initiative. So just starting off, when and where were you born? I was born in Topeka, Kansas on October 20th, 1936. Interesting, okay. And um, what were your parents' names? Uh, my mother was Virginia, and my dad was Zint, Z-I-N-T. Actually, it was Zinta, but he got enrolled in a class for girls in high school, so he dropped the A. Okay. <laughs> and when did your family first move to Indiana? Um, Chuck and I moved here uh, when he went he was at Purdue doing a master's when we got married, and so we came here then, then left for a while and came back to do a PhD he, when he was doing a PhD at Purdue. Oh, okay. And that was, I think, 1960. So did you grow up? came back. Did you grow up in Kansas then, or? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Lived in Topeka, and then when I was 12, moved to the Kansas City area. Okay. Graduated from high school in Orono, Maine, because my dad was on a bridge job. Oh, wow. But then came back to Kansas State, and that's where I met Chuck. Got it. And um, what were your parents' occupations then? Um, my mother taught, uh, you know, early in her life, but then was just a volunteer and homemaker. Right. And my my dad was a civil engineer. Okay. And did you have any siblings? I have one sister who's 12 years younger than I am. Okay. So how would you describe your childhood then? Uh, pretty normal. Uh, of course, during the war years, uh, my dad was gone most of the time. But other than that period of time, you know, we were... Uh, I guess what you call a nuclear family. Yeah. And uh, like I say, lived in Topeka until uh, we moved to Kansas City, and that was a change in job for for my dad. He went from the highway department to a uh, 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 consulting firm in right. the Kansas City area. Yeah. <clears throat> and so, who would you say were the most influential people in your childhood? Your parents, or? Well, parents, but also I was uh, the only grandchild that lived in town with my uh, paternal grandparents. Ah, okay. And the only grandchild with my maternal grandparents, and they lived in the Kansas City area, so they certainly had an influence. Yeah. And what did you know about your family's political beliefs growing up? Um, I just knew that they liked, especially my grandmother, my dad's mother, and my dad like to argue about politics. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, they they definitely followed that. Uh, my grandfather actually was uh, clerk of the Senate in Topeka at one point in, in his life. Wow. So, you know, civic involvement was something that I heard about as I was growing up was kind of, you know, 
something that you were supposed to do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And now, what schools did you uh, attend growing up? Well, I started out uh, kind of just outside the Topeka school system, and then and then we moved in. It's an area called Highland Park, so I went to school at Highland Park, and then moved in and went to one of the Topeka grade schools. Um, of course, moved to Prairie Village, Kansas, and I went to Shawnee Mission High School in the Kansas City area when there was only one. Okay. Yeah. There's now about five. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Anyway, and then, like I said, I graduated from Orono, and then went back to K State. Although I only went a little over two years there before I got married. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. All right. And what was your major at Kansas State? Civil engineering. Oh, that's right. Okay, you mentioned that. All right. And were you involved in any extracurricular activities or? Well, I was in uh, Tri Delta sorority. Okay. And then I worked on the engineering um, magazine newsletter thing. Yeah. Yeah. So. Did you? What were your goals after college? I didn't have any. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> when I was in school, I was just going to school. I was going to graduate and get a job, probably. But yeah. Got married instead. Uh, okay, sure. So, yeah. When did you start getting interested in politics? When I moved, when we moved here to West Lafayette, there were all the area north of Sagamore Parkway was being developed. And uh, I, I joined the League of Women Voters, and at that time you were doing door-to-door registration. So I did lots of that. And then I was asked to be a vice committeeman, and so that's how I kind of got involved with the party. Okay. And how did your uh, politics align with your parents? I think it was pretty similar. Okay. Yeah. Certainly was influenced by by their belief that uh, there was a lot of responsibility on the part of the citizens and the government just was supposed to do what they couldn't do. Right. So, uh, let's see, did you have any, like, national political heroes or... Uh, probably President Eisenhower. Okay. Partly because he was a native Kansan. Right, right. And because I was involved and interested in transportation, and the the interstate highway system was uh, a pretty dramatic change during my lifetime. Okay, sure. Something we could never do now. Yeah. (laughs) And so, why did you decide to run for uh, the General Assembly? Well, that was an interesting process. Um, When I got involved with the local party, at one point, the county chair had an unexpected late vacancy on the ballot for uh, township assessor. 
and asked if I would run for that office, and I did, and won. Okay. And then uh, six years later, the first woman that had been elected commissioner in Tippecanoe County was moving out of town, and so people encouraged me to run to take her place, and I got lots of support from women in the community. Yeah. So I was elected commissioner. Okay. Six years after that, I was on vacation in Colorado, and a bunch of people from here went down and talked to the Republican caucus, and when I got home, I was running through the legislature. (laughs) So... Did they, like, sign you up as a candidate without telling you, or? <laughs> no. Okay. But they basically. Yeah, okay. Convinced me that I, that, and I ran because I felt like we had a 16-year incumbent in office, and I felt like I could make him a better legislator just by giving him a race. Okay. But I won. <laughs> <laughs> Were you happy about that, or disappointed? <laughs> I was just, no, it was fine. I was surprised. Okay. I was just surprised. Yeah. surprised. Yeah. 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 Okay. You no, know, it's a great privilege. I wish everybody could have a chance to serve in sure. elected office. And uh, did you have like a campaign strategy then when you were running? Uh, well, it was just to uh, better represent the community. Yeah. And uh, oh, I can't even remember what the slogan was. We had an interesting thing in that we had friends that had a a uh, van that had it looked like the back of a train mm-hmm. on the back to carry their bicycles and of course we're associate. I was going to represent the Purdue area if I want so um, we kind of used the train theme yeah so, okay yeah. so and had always had that at the um, the football games did you do had any? Their, had their van there, and I was there. Right. Yeah, that was fun. Did you ever do any door to door? Oh yeah. 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 Was that? That's a hard. That's a hard thing to to get started at every day that you're going to do it because it's kind of late day. You're getting. Yeah. You know, close to the dinner hour and all, but it's very rewarding. Yeah. People are great. At least in this area, people are great. Did you have any, like, interesting stories from those experiences? Maybe one of the most interesting one was, at the, at the time, I had been in the community, I don't know, 20 years, 20-some years, and when I mentioned that at one door, somebody said, well, that doesn't count at all. <laughs> I've been here, you know, 50 <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I always thought that was kind of funny. Twenty years didn't do it. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Actually, the theme I kind of worked with was the fact that I was had been a wife, a mother, and a community volunteer, which is what I did, you know, for a number of years prior to being asked to run for assessor. Right. And that that was the best background you could have for being a representative. Yeah. 
Now, did you change your campaign strategies at all for future elections or? No. Okay. No. The fellow that was my campaign manager through most of my elections would tell you that what what I was in campaigning was disgustingly positive. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) Well, I just didn't see any reason to be negative. Right, right. And and I was fortunate this area that I represented has a very high level of education. Okay. And so all you needed to do was tell people honestly what was going on. And the fact that a lot of folks in the community understood budgeting and the budget process because right. of Purdue, uh, uh, that's just what I did. They yeah. didn't always agree with me, but I got a straight answer. Sure. I knew, I knew it would do no good to try to spin things in this area. Yeah, okay. There you go. <laughs> yeah. What did you think of, like, the election process? Did it seem pretty straightforward, or is it? Yes. You have to make an effort to get people registered. And I, I think it's kind of too bad that the door-to-door registration isn't done more. Okay. Because it gave you a chance to talk to people and, you know, try to get them encouraged. Yeah. This was even before I was running for office. You know, when I first started doing registration, I wasn't registering for Republicans or Democrats or anybody. I was just getting people registered because it was a new area. Sure. Didn't didn't make any difference. And it's true today in Indiana, you don't register for a party. Yeah. That part, I think, is good. Right. And what were you thinking when you walked into the state house for your first day in office? It's very awe-inspiring. Yeah. To know, to know that you're there where important decisions are made that affect everybody. Sure. And that a lot of people have gone ahead of you. Yep. <laughs> Did you feel like you were prepared for the legislative process? Much more so than I would have been had I not been a county commissioner. Okay. Yeah, some of my fellow freshmen kind of struggled with things that didn't cause me as much grief or consternation because of, you know, having ma- having made decisions yeah. for a number of years that had sort of the same effect locally. Yeah. Do you remember the first bill that you sponsored or authored? <laughs> yeah, it didn't go anywhere. Okay. What was it? A redistricting bill. Interesting. And what... <laughs> What did that uh, do, or what it would have it, it done? Kinda, it kind of followed the Iowa system at the time. Mm-hmm. I can't remember for sure, but I think it probably nested a couple of representative districts in a Senate district. Okay. Which, which the senators don't like at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
anyway, and and I start out, and I worked with redistricting up until the last few years when it became so political, and I just couldn't do it anymore. Interesting. So yeah. has it become like much more of a partisan process over time then? Uh, it's people want it to be a partisan process. Okay. That's not what they say, but that's what they want to do. Okay. <laughs> and of course, I'm a Republican, and the driving force on redistricting here in our local area became Democratic. And I just got to the place where I was tired of standing alone. Yeah. <laughs> and so. I may get back to working with that if it ever changes a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how often do you think, or how often did you try to get like bipartisan support on legislation? I think you always need to get it if you possibly can. Yeah. Okay. You really can't govern without compromise mm -hmm. and hearing the other side. We've kind of lost that concept. Yeah. <laughs> now it's just kind of force it your way, I guess, or? Yeah, oh, yeah. I, honestly, super majorities are terrible. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, they just are. Yeah. If you have, the whole time I was there, you know, you did, we were in the 50s one way or the other in the majority. Mm -hmm. And... Then you have to get everybody together. They have to come to a consensus. Right. Or you can't pass legislation. True, yeah. Yeah. So, you, you can't have factions wanting to do something that most people don't want to do and get any traction. Right. So, why do you think there is a supermajority then after you left? Why do you think that happened? Um, I don't know how much of it could have been influenced by maps, okay. but I do know that they, they have tried to make the maps simpler, you know, not look so crazy. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, because Indiana has been predominantly a Republican state, you got Republican people coming into office everywhere. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I, I'm not sure <laughs> that you can get, and until, you know, the demographics completely change, I'm not sure you could get Democrat majorities mm -hmm. without doing some gerrymandering. Okay. You know, to give them an opportunity right. to get enough of their voters within a district. Yeah. Yeah. What would you say was the uh, atmosphere like between Democrats or Republicans when you served? Well, we have a retired legislators group, and we had gotten together in the last few months. And as I was getting out of my car in the parking lot, 
Chet Nobus was getting out of his car and he said, Sue, we used to argue, but we went to dinner at the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> you know, yeah. There was a lot more camaraderie. And I'm not sure how much of that is left. Okay. Because that does not ever get reported. Ah, uh, yeah. You know, the figures are, you know, way up above 90% of legislation is bipartisan. Right. The only thing the public hears about are the controversial issues that are being dealt with. Yeah, yeah. True. So I'm sure there's still some really good friendships across the aisle and people that work together. Okay. So do you think then that politics has changed much from when you served, or do you think it's mostly just overblown? I think politics has changed, but I still say it is a reflection of society. Okay. It's it's become so divided, you either win or you lose. And and like I say, you can't govern without compromise. Right. It's not possible. Yeah. Okay. What would you say were the differences between the House and Senate when you served? (laughs) Uh, Well, the Senate's a deliberative body. Sometimes they deliberate themselves into inaction. Okay. (laughs) A comment I made to a senator, and that got me thrown out of leadership meetings. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) At the time. Wow. But it was true. (laughs) I was very fortunate in the leadership um, because Paul Manweller pulled Jeff Linder and myself kind of into leadership or, you know, prepping for leadership in our second terms, which I'm sure gave him an awful lot of grief because it was still basically a seniority system. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. So how, how influential would you say then party leadership was? Oh, I, 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 very much so. Okay. Yeah. Do you think someone could go against party leadership without getting punished for it? Um, depending on what it was you were trying to do, uh, you know, if there was support and if it was something that wasn't going to throw the main agenda off, yeah, I don't think you'd be particularly punished for doing something that, you know, people weren't really interested in at the leadership level. Okay. But to try to go against the overall direction that you were trying to go would probably cause you to be sort of left out. Yeah. <clears throat> How would you say uh, your legislative service affected your family life? I think I was fortunate. My parents had moved back here when they both retired. So by the time I got into the legislature and was gone, um, 
they were around if the kids needed something and the kids were you know primarily gone anyway because they were in college so um, Chuck was very good about putting up with my schedule and he at the time was traveling around the state in his work too so okay we adapted yeah <laughs> yeah yep yeah it's all you can do and I he, guess and, and he learned to cook oh there you go <laughs> yeah so he became a pretty good cook that helps yeah I keep, I keep telling him that was a good thing <laughs> keep it up yeah <laughs> How influential would you say lobbyists were in the General Assembly? Well, they're pretty influential because they're the ones that have information. Yeah. Our legislative services, you know, gosh, I don't know how those people do what they do. Yeah. Because they have so much responsibility and, and so much they need to research and do and no time to do it. So the lobbyists are the ones that can provide you information. Okay. You just have to make sure you get both sides. Ah, sure, yeah. Yeah. <coughs> Do you think... Uh, oh, go ahead. I, I was say, and by and large, we have, at least when I was in the legislature, and I don't know that it's changed at all, we had really good lobbyists. You know, they didn't try to pull stuff over on you. Okay. Yeah. They would work with you and help you. Yeah, okay, good. Do you think, uh, like, campaign donations or gifts had any influence on politicians when you served, or...? Oh, I'm sure. You know, it's different for each individual. Yeah. I'm sure some people paid more attention to that than others. Uh, My example is the first time I ran... The Chamber of Commerce probably contributed the most okay. to my campaign. The first vote I cast on the floor, the first time I spoke on the floor, was in favor of um, including some things in health insurance, which, of course, they were opposed to. Wow. And so when I saw the lobbyist, I said something about it. He said, look, we supported you because we thought you'd be a good legislator, not because of the issues we wanted you to vote on. So, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good thing because I didn't vote the way you wanted. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, I know that you had already talked about redistricting a little bit, but... What would you change about the legislative process based on uh, your experiences in the General Assembly? What would I change? Um, I'd elect more women. Okay. And the reason for that is in the legislative process. Yeah. If you watch carefully, uh, and it's a overall generalization certainly not true in individuals but you go to the committee structure and women are much more willing to work with an issue in committee until you get consensus 
men are much more interested in getting the committee work done and getting the bill moved. Hmm, okay. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. So, what was it like then for you, uh, you know, being a female legislator? How many were there at the time when you served? Um, oh, gosh, that's a good question. I don't know. I'd have to look that up. I want to say maybe a dozen in the House. Okay. So not a very big number, I guess. No, no. And some research has shown that you need 30% before it begins to make a difference in the operation of the Mm. chamber. Okay, yeah. So So how did you sort of navigate that? Because I guess it must have have a, a strange environment then where if it's just so, you know, dominant in terms of, okay, they're all male legislators, basically. Well, my dad only had daughters. Okay. I was close to my dad. Okay. <laughs> I think that was part of it. I grew up being told not to throw like a girl. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I enrolled in civil engineering at Kansas State. I was only female in civil engineering. Yeah. Uh, I was a county commissioner when there were like probably less than half a dozen across the state. Yeah. And and I guess part of it is I just never thought it made a difference. Yeah. Okay. And that was really brought home to me because one of the when I was pulled into leadership, one of the other women legislators said, "Well, it won't make any difference because they won't tell you about the meetings." Mm. And I said, "Well, if I just show up." There isn't much they can do about it. <laughs> yeah, true. And she, and her comment was, "Oh, my mother taught me not to do things like that." <laughs> okay. You know. Yeah. And, and I just, I think I had just learned that you just show up and assume that you're an equal partner, and a lot of times you are. Yeah. So that's interesting. Then I mean. Um, why do you think there were not as many female legislators? Do you think women were less interested in running, or? Well, uh, by and large, women did not have the same encouragement to do things like that. Yeah. Like in, for one thing, at the time I started out, women were not in career paths to a great extent like most young men were Mm -hmm. and along with that a lot of the men particularly in some professions you know would be encouraged to get involved and to do something like run for an office right so we realized there was not a pipeline that's part of the reason the luger series was created okay the other thing is it's hard for women to go out and ask for money. Mm. Yeah. Okay. That's not our nature. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, let's see, uh, shifting gears a little bit, what would you say were the most controversial legislative issues during your service? 
Um, hmm. Well, we did the right to life while I was, not right to life, right to work while I was there. Okay. Which filled the state house, you know, with people. That was pretty controversial. Yeah. Yeah, so describe what the situation was at the time and what made it so controversial. Well, the right to work was changing legislation, you know, to not require uh, participation in the portion of dues that for the teachers, that, that was one issue, to not require them to participate in the portion of dues that went for political activity. Mm-hmm. And then for the unions themselves, that, you know, there'd be a choice. You don't have to join. Yeah. So that was not at all possible. Right, right. Popular, I mean. So anyway, I think that's the only time I can remember the state house was full of people. Yeah. Interesting, okay. <laughs> you know, just angry people, I should say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Were there any other really controversial things that went on when you served? or? Well, the school choice was controversial. Okay. <clears throat> so. And what was your role in the school choice uh, debates? Well, I worked with uh, Teresa Lubbers and the... Um, the folks from the um, teachers unions to to come out with a bill that could be passed um, okay because I'm a supporter of public schools so I didn't want the school choice to be non-public okay so that's how we came to having sponsors and making them public. So. Ah, okay, sure. Yeah, that just took a lot of sessions. Yeah. And, and then, in the end, a lot of conference committee sessions. So. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Took a lot of work then to get that through, I guess. Right, right. Another, <coughs> another situation in the conference committee that I really remember was was interesting and a lot of work was we were working on landlord uh, renter uh, legislation. That's another tough one. Oh, okay. Yeah. Not so controversial overall, but certainly to the people involved it is. Sure, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, yeah. Now, I was I saw in the newspapers from the the time that you served that there was I guess some debates going on regarding abortion. What was happening at the time? Well, at, what was happening at the time was the speakers from both parties were very careful to not let that get totally out of hand at the time. Okay. And so I think we slowly passed legislation that got us to a very good position as long as Roe versus Wade was there. Okay. Yeah. So. And so how different 
was that debate then compared to the debate that goes on today? Well, there was no opportunity to do a total ban. Okay, yeah. As long as Roe versus Wade was there. Yeah. And so, you know, and I have some kind of strong feelings about that. I'm definitely pro-life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm also convinced that Basically, that does not belong in the legislative agenda arena. It should be something that's a medical decision between a woman and a doctor. Ah, okay. Sure. So, and if you do a total ban, then you put, you know, so many people in jeopardy. Doctors, hospitals, to say nothing of the women that need care. Yeah. For perfectly reasonable medical reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think that um, <clears throat> there are people that would have reacted kind of the same as people are reacting today at the time when you served, if if Roe v. Wade was overturned, or oh, what? absolutely. Okay, so it have been the same type of like big debate. Yeah, the the, so. the debate has always been there. Okay. <clears throat> Um, I also saw another uh, piece of like education legislation that was going on when you served was about like full day kindergarten. Do you remember anything about that? Oh yeah, yes, <laughs> yeah. I know there was a big effort for that. The problem was the cost. Okay. I I don't. Well, I shouldn't say that. I know there's a lot of people in Indiana that are uncomfortable with people other than parents teaching children. Okay. Um, but it's the children that don't have kindergarten and are put at a disadvantage because the support at home is not the same as most of those parents that don't want other people teaching their children are working with their children. We have a lot of kids that have parents that have absolutely no interest in them. Yeah. And those kids need kindergarten. Those kids need preschool, particularly today. Right. So, but the money, the cost was always the biggest barrier. Okay. That's not cheap. (laughs) Now, when and why did you decide to uh, eventually leave the General Assembly? Well, Chuck had kind of retired about two or three years earlier, and I think he finally was getting a little tired of living on my schedule, which was basically Brian Bosma's schedule. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Because I was the assistant leader at that time. so and, and the fact that I did not work outside the home or outside the legislature and lived fairly close meant that I was... I was more involved in things in Indianapolis than a lot of legislators are or need to be. So, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Made a difference. So. Yeah. And you talk about the kindergarten. One of the most interesting things I participated in was the education roundtable that Frank O'Bannon put together. See, when I went to the legislature, you didn't come from Tippecanoe County and not serve on the education committee. <laughs> Just, okay. And so 
there's a lot of people here to this day that think I was a teacher. I didn't even finish college, but I served on the education committee the whole time and was tapped to be on the education roundtable, which was a, a wonderful experience because what we did was bring in first people we brought in, I think, were the people that talked about brain development in children. Hmm. Okay. And, and all the stakeholders were at the table. That was after the year that there just been a horrible fight between the chamber and education people and nothing good came out of that session. So Frank O'Bannon created this education roundtable, put everybody at the table. Uh, okay. It took about 18 months for people to really begin to talk and listen to each other. Wow. Yeah, geez. You know, to get past their own agendas and... Right. Start to work on, okay, what's best for kids? Yeah. See, I went into the legislature when the switch occurred from, like, 20 years of Republican leadership to Democrat leadership. Okay. And I watched those people that had been there for a while struggle with their new roles because mm. it's different to govern than it is to be the other voice <laughs> yeah that's true yeah. yeah 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 definitely an adjustment yeah yeah so the first few years that I was there I worked a lot Susan Crosby on the Democrat side and a friend of mine, um, we had both been in local government and had known each other, so she, we were roommates when we got down there as freshmen to the legislature. We were working on mental health issues. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so. Well, thinking in the big picture, then, um, you know, how would you summarize your time overall as a state legislator? It was a wonderful experience. I hope I made a difference in some areas. Um, I uh, tried to do what I think is a big part of the job, which is public education. <laughs> yeah, okay. Of, of the voters and the constituents. So. What lessons did you learn from your experiences? Um, one of the biggest lessons is that so many times the angriest people are just because they don't understand the process or what's going on. Okay. Because it's very difficult in today's world to figure out how government works. Yeah. On many levels. Yeah, true. Yeah. And that most people have good intentions and work really hard to try to do what's right. Yeah. And you don't read that in the newspaper. <laughs> right, right. I said, probably about the time I went in the legislature, that the media was going to ruin our process, our governmental process, and I think they're coming close. Yeah, okay. So do you, do you think that the media is kind of like the biggest driver of polarization then? or? Well, now we have social okay. media yeah. helping, 
helping. Yeah. 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 Well, my grandfather worked for White down in Emporia, Kansas, mm-hmm. uh, journalism, and so I always had an interest in journalism as I was growing up, and took it in high school. And I'm just so sad to see the objectivity go out of journalism. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I don't think it serves us well. Right, right. But it's just not there anymore. I, mm-hmm. I mean, they're actually kind of teaching that you need to help make the news, not just report it. Yeah, true. Yeah. So anyway. Did you? No, I just I just think it's such a privilege to get to serve in elected office. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And you and you learn and I tell people, you learn about things that you would never ever have any reason to know about. Right. If you weren't in the you know, in the legislature. Mhm. So it's a real education process. Now, did you see sort of the change in in the role of uh, the media and pol- political polarization over the course of your career when you served? Did you feel like that was starting to have an impact already in, in creating more polarization? or? Well, I thought it was... I could see it beginning to have an impact in the fact that it was the media that was choosing what to report. Okay. I remember one instance, one of the reporters down there in the state house wanted to interview me and I said no you need to interview I forget who it was because of the issue and they said no I'm going to interview you (laughs) (laughs) interesting why why not do the person that knows the most about it right right (laughs) yeah did you uh, have any regrets as a legislator? Uh, oh, probably that there were times when I thought, well, I should have figured out how to be more effective in getting something done. But mm-hmm. yeah. What was your uh, proudest moment? <laughs> it was a funny little thing. Um, there was a period of time when there was governmental help to set the surveying points for the GPS system. Okay. And the county engineer, the county surveyors in the state of Indiana had funding that they could use to get it done. But you had to have somebody designated at the state level as to hit it up. Yeah. And we didn't and we didn't have it in Indiana. Uh, okay. So I was able to get an amendment on a bill that designated a fellow here at Purdue that had the knowledge that we needed. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of at the last minute. The window was closing. <laughs> yeah. And I just knew we needed to be part of it. And certainly in today's world, 
that was a pretty big deal at the time. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But a funny little thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, my friend and roommate and I decided after we'd been down there for a very short period of time that coming from local government, we were down there just to kill legislation that made it difficult for local entities to function. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. So, yeah. Well, uh, what advice would you give to future legislators or even current legislators? Um, to listen. To listen to people that have different ideas. Yeah. And to always think about what the unintended consequences of the legislation might be. Yeah. It's very hard to legislate um, in a way because when you legislate for everybody, you're probably not doing things right for some individuals. Mm, okay. Sure. So you have to keep that in mind. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So. What, in your opinion, is the most important work of the Indiana General Assembly? Well, they have a tremendous uh, responsibility in funding so much of what goes on in, in everybody's daily life, really. Yeah. The, the agencies and the schools and the highways and things. So, um, the budget is their number one, and in some ways, their only responsibility. Mm, okay. But in today's world, there are just so many issues that people are turning to the government to try to solve. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, yeah. That it's setting priorities has to be a, a really big job for them at this point. Now, what would you say the public does not know about the Indian General Assembly and, and how it works? Probably the biggest thing is they don't know how hard legislators work in committees and, and what a hectic schedule it is for them Yeah. during the session. Makes sense. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, I know it gets published, certainly by some of the individual legislators, but I don't think they realize how much of it really is bipartisan, mm -hmm. and that there are people working together, and that is, it isn't just constant arguments down there all the time. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. People that go... I, and. You know, I would encourage people to go down and, you know, sit in on a committee meeting and listen to how they work through that process. Sure. Yeah. And that's most of it. Probably for the public, it's just that they don't have time to really know how it works. Yeah. 
So it's just kind of this thing that happens, and all they know is what they read in the paper. Right, Way too right. many people, yeah. Um, well, how do you think the state of Indiana has changed over the course of uh, your time in the state? Oh, it's really gone uh, from basically an agricultural and uh, manufacturing into much more high tech mm -hmm. and jobs that, um, and, and part of that is the push has always been, you know, you get more education, you get more education. Well, now you need education for things that still involve the physical labor, you know. Yeah. I know. I remember we were talking uh, just when we were working to try to get algebra in the curriculum earlier for, for some of the kids. And I was so surprised when it was... Um, one of the construction people that said, yeah, we need people that have taken calculus, you know. Mm, okay. <laughs> you know, because I took calculus, I thought, oh, please don't do that. Uh, <laughs> 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 anyway, so I, I, that's been the biggest change. Because it used to be, you know, you could go to work in the factory and make a decent living. And there was plenty of those jobs available. Sure. When I went to the legislature, there were, oh, I used to know the statistics, something like 49 of the counties, of our 92 counties, had less than 10% of the adult population uh, with advanced degree, a uh, college degree. Mm, okay. And there were only about five counties that met the national average. Wow. You know, and one of the saddest things was then when, well, like the, the steel mills and the car manufacturers and those entities started computerizing and utilizing technology. We had people that didn't know how to read, that had been working and having, you know, a fine livelihood. Right, yeah that we're suddenly thrown into a totally different situation. So, yeah. I think that's the biggest change. Yeah, that makes sense. It seems yeah. hard for uh, people to adapt with the world. Yes, yeah, yeah. And particularly in Indiana, like I say, because it used to be you had the agriculture and the manufacturing, and, and you know, more yeah. than half the population had perfectly good uh, life. Mm -hmm. and adequate resources in those areas and that's no longer true for that large portion of the population right yeah so well do you think the people of Indiana have changed at all <clears throat> probably not okay <laughs> <laughs> well I think the younger people certainly uh looking at my own grad kids you know they just they've been exposed to so much more mm, okay you know and and had to learn about so much more that you know they've changed right and and they don't do things the way they used to be done so you have a 
a real mix. Yeah. And I think they have some different goals. I, I've, it's interesting. When I was in the legislature, I saw the effects of not having good civics in the schools. Mm, okay, sure. When teachers started writing to me about federal issues. and 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 now and of course being representing the college campus you could see some of those changes come through and now i think the young people are are much more interested actually in how government's working and and you know how it should work and learning more about the process itself. So, you know, that pendulum swings. Yeah, definitely. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Sure. Yep. Let's see. Well, last question for you. Um, What do you want the people of Indiana to know about uh, their influence on the General Assembly? They can have a great deal of influence if they just tell their own story and it comes from the heart and it's not a form letter that some group has given you to write. Mm. Because legislators do pay attention to what their constituents have to tell them if it's not, you know, like I say, a form letter that they're getting from everybody. Right, yeah. It's still an individual communication can have a lot of influence. Yeah. Well, is there anything that I uh, didn't ask about that you wanted to mention about your uh, experience in the General Assembly? Oh, gosh, Ben, I don't know. (laughs) Fair enough. You know, that's been a long time ago now. Yeah. A few so, years, I no, guess. I yeah. enjoyed it. I enjoyed the people. That was probably the best thing. You met so many people and, you know, developed friendships. And uh, and then um, that makes a difference. Right. Yeah. If you're relating to your peers as individuals and as friends and colleagues. And there were a lot of them down there. <laughs> yep, yep. Yep, so. <clears throat> well. It's a, very, it's a very special opportunity and privilege to get to do it. Yeah, definitely. I'm, that's... Thankful I, I'm just thankful I had that opportunity. Thanks, people of the community, for letting me do it. Sure. Yeah. Well, thank you uh, so much for taking part in the project. Um, 